Welcome to the Latin MedTech Leaders Podcast. This is a weekly conversation with MedTech leaders who have succeeded in Latin America. Today, our guest is Robert Bilkowski. Robert serves as the CEO for MetaPraise Inc., a health technology startup focused on transforming the health and wellness of employees in large industrial corporations through the use of a state-of-the-art musculoskeletal health evaluation solution. In addition, Robert currently serves as president of RNB Ventures Consulting Inc., which is a medical device technology consulting firm with an aim to provide medical clinical affairs consulting expertise to medical device and IBD manufacturers on medical risk determinations and prison mission expertise for new IBD essays. Prior to that, Robert served in medical leadership roles at Beckton Dickinson in the Corporate Clinical Development Division, at Abbott Laboratories Molecular Diagnostics Division, GE Healthcare, Lifecare Solutions, and Hospira. During his industry venture, Robert was responsible for the design and execution of over 20 clinical trials for U.S. and ex-U.S. registration purposes. Product safety review, remediation activities, including interactions with notified bodies and clinical quality oversight for FDA and BIMO inspection readiness and post-inspection corrective action planning. Robert, welcome to the show. Happy to connect with uh, like-minded people. Thank you. I went through your LinkedIn profile, and I'm very pleased to be speaking with you today. If you don't mind, I'll give you a little bit of context here about who I am and what I do, and then we'll probably can speak deeper about the topic that I told you about and I'm sure. doing research on. I'm originally from Colombia. As I said, I moved to the States around 1995. My brother, Pedro, also moved out of the country. He got involved, Robert, in the development of cerebral cardiovascular technologies. And then he became a professor at the University of Miami. While he was at UM, he started working with an investigator in Colombia and in Paraguay on the development of cerebral cardiovascular technologies from U.S. startups. And that's how Pedro and I started working together. In 2010, we created our company. And in essence, we are a contract research organization that has evolved to cover different needs in the industry. First, it was for clinical research, and we still do clinical research, first in human, specifically. Mm-hmm. I guess we're the only boutique journal in the U.S. that helps U.S. medical device startups to do first in human trials overseas, in Colombia, to be more specific. Okay. And we have also expanded our services, Robert, to cover needs related to commercialization of medical technologies in Latin America. Okay. We help these companies enter the market. We do market research. We do regulatory approvals or market clearance at the regulatory agencies in Mexico, Brazil, Colombia, anywhere we need to. We also do market access plans for these companies so that they can get reimbursed, they can get paid, and then they can create demand for the products in every single country. So uh, that's what led me to start writing about the topic of medical device commercialization and also clinical research in the region because I realized, Robert, that there's very little information on this. I mean, if you read about the medical device industry, you'll find a lot of stuff for Europe, you'll find a lot of stuff for Asia, but you don't find much in Latin America. I totally agree. I mean, just to go off on tangent for a sec, just to uh, provide some commentary to what you just described. First conclusion I drew is, wow, you're creating a pretty unique niche uh, service offering because 
the uh, the LATAM market for medical device is, for all intents and purposes, grossly underserved. Right. Most yeah. uh, medical device companies typically don't focus on LATAM within their first two waves of commercialization. Yes. Yeah, it's interesting how you've uh, decided to find uh, or carve out a niche. Yeah, because I guess the reason why they don't look at Latin America is probably because there isn't much guidance, there isn't much literature about it, and they are in a position where, to them, it's unknown territory, especially with our president now saying bad things. But there's potential in the market. It's a 600 million people territory with over 30 countries. And of course, it has its challenges. It's in frequencies, and every country has its own regulatory approval and ways of doing business. But they don't tackle these markets first. As you said, they usually go to Europe or other countries in Asia, probably more familiar places. Because I mean, they are in the carpool zone. I totally understand. So what I'm trying to do is kind of bring awareness that there's potential here. It's just that you need the right guidance to do things right in the region. Totally agree. I mean, yeah. your glide path for entry of a product, and I'll use the product more broadly, sure. you have a relatively well-defined glide path in the United States. Yeah. Europe has been somewhat well laid out. It's, certainly, it always mm-hmm. changes, like it recently has mm-hmm. changed with MDR, and yeah. CFDA has clearly gone through an evolution in the past five to 10 years where they're mm-hmm. trying to further clarify the entry into the market. The biggest challenge that the sponsor companies have is they want to have certainty and clarity. And if you don't yes. have certainty and clarity, then the market appeal goes down. And yes. I think that's why LATAM has been largely put as a second-tier mm, market. True, true. Good point, good point. And also, I would add that the choice of distributors in the region usually is limited to you going to a conference or an industry event and meeting somebody sitting next to you, having a coffee or a couple of beers, and then that person is your distributor in Colombia or Peru, Ecuador, whatever. So it's kind of an informal way of choosing your partner for the next couple of years. And that relationship usually starts very nicely and ends in disaster and with disagreements because you chose your distributor poorly, not following professional ways of choosing or doing market research and choosing the right partner. You didn't do your due diligence correctly. And then you ended up with somebody who is poorly, is underfinanced, doesn't have the coverage that he claimed that he had in the country, et cetera, or the connections. And then you have to break the agreement and try to transfer the registration certificate or the market clearance that he probably got under his name, then try to transfer it to another distributor. I mean, it becomes a mess. That's an issue in the region, at least in, in Colombia. I mean, at least what I've seen in my experience. So anyway, so the reason to reach out to you is to, and to other industry leaders, like yourself, people with your background in medtech, it's just because I was actually writing, the story behind my article started because I wrote an article about general Latin American markets. I think you probably saw it, something in my LinkedIn profile, but I spoke about the generalities about different countries and the trends or the demand that is in specific countries. I talk about Colombia, Brazil, Mexico, et cetera, and I kind of formulated an entry strategy where a company should probably start with mid-tier countries instead of the bigger ones. Everybody wants to get into Brazil and Mexico, but it's probably not a good idea to start with those countries because it's a lot more time-consuming, more expensive, and more corrupt, uh, difficult. Usually Colombia, Peru are probably better choices for smaller companies to start selling their products. And then I wrote another article about Mexico, 
which is in itself a very intriguing market. I mean, it has five different health systems and you have to know how to formulate a market strategy for each system. It's full of corruption, et cetera. But there's potential. There's potential diabetes is at the highest, obesity, et cetera. So cardiovascular disease, all that stuff. Which is- and then I was about to write, I'm sorry, go ahead. Just uh, reaffirming what you're stating, you know, the medical trends and challenges that are facing in the Western societies, such as the United States or Western Europe, are not endemic to those areas. People yes. have cardiovascular mm-hmm. disease, they have diabetes, they have strokes, they have need for improvement in Parkinson's yeah. disease, etc. all around the world. Right. I think the biggest challenge is the level of sophistication of the regulatory personnel within these respective emerging markets, I would say, like in mm-hmm. Latin America, being able to hold their hand, so to speak, it's a landmine. You need to be able to go and find the right partner that can walk you through that regulatory process. Exactly. And the biggest challenge from a sponsor standpoint, I can share what my experiences when I was chief medical officer for one of the divisions at uh, GE Healthcare. Mm-hmm. We hate uncertainty. We have yeah. a finished product. The product is suitable for market, but the market is not ready because we aren't going through the appropriate channels. And then all of a sudden our launch plan is now delayed a year. And that's devastating. Yeah, that's an interesting point you're bringing up. We just finished actually a project for Enron Healthcare. It just comes to mind because you're mentioning this. And imagine, Robert, I mean, this company, you know, Enron is the leader of the blood pressure monitoring market or the sector. And it's a $10 billion company. They have presence all over Latin America. But something particular was happening in Colombia. I mean, even though they have distributors, they've been registered, they have market clearance for the products in the country, and they've been in the country for 10 years, but their sales were negligible. I mean, were a joke compared to sales in Argentina, and similar markets of the same size or similar size. And they came to us for help. And we put together a nice project where we started researching. We spoke with all the stakeholders possible to really understand what was going on in the market, why we're not selling. And we put together all this data, we analyzed it, and we came to some conclusions. We found out the problem, why they were not selling in Colombia, and we set some strategies and a market access plan for them to give them certainty. If they do this, they're going to get this result. And that's not usually the way these companies enter the market. They enter just trusting distributors and hoping that the distributor will create demand. And that creates so much uncertainty because you don't know what they're going to do. Yeah, you know, interestingly, China is very similar in that design. Has historically leaned on distributors for a lot of the emerging products. Mm -hmm. You know, the GEs, the Siemens of this world, they can go and get their own sales force. But more often than not, these companies don't want to go and invest in a sales force within each of these countries. So they Mm -hmm. lean on distributors. Mm -hmm. And you're totally right. The distributor will be totally excited to get your product into their toolbox. Tomorrow, they're having the same conversation with the next shiny tool that is also going to be perfect for their sales mix. And then they only focus on the easiest one to sell. Exactly. The easiest one to sell. That's, That's absolutely right. Going back to the issue of how this article came about, I got into a conversation with somebody in Europe, a CEO of a medical device company. And he's like, Julio, have you written an article about the difficulties that we're having here in Europe in complying with these new regulations, the EU and the R, uh, and what markets should be addressed first now that Europe is so complex and so expensive, et cetera. So 
that got me thinking about this topic. And I didn't know much about EU and BR because my focus is Latin America, not Europe. And then I started researching on it and I started speaking with some people and I realized that it looks like there's a trend that is apparently a big issue now. That's why I reached out to you and some other folks in my network. Totally agree. You know, I'm not doing a lot of work with companies directly, but indirectly through my network. They're the ones that are were prepared still are nervous, but those that were not prepared and now look at the regulations, they're in a panic. Yeah. I mean, it's, they're mortified mm. because their products may come mm. off market. Your hypothesis is 100% valid. You know, mm. the other interesting thing, it's an intriguing question. A lot of medical device companies and med tech companies like the IVDs saw Europe as a easier entry because of the simplicity compared to FDA regs or PMDA or CFDA to get CE mark. But now there's a multiple layers of complexity to be able to support clinical evidence that yes. is raising a question whether or not Europe is going to be your entry for your product. I can share at GE, we typically would have our products intended for a global market, but the first thing that would occur would be CE mark. It would always be CE mark. Now the question goes from my take is, is CE mark first? And I don't think yeah. it is anymore. Interesting. Yeah, that's been my experience. I've been dealing with U.S. <coughs> medical device startups for 10 years, as I said. And on the first in human stage or the first in human trial stage sure. that they have to go through. And they usually get the data from the sites in Colombia for the okay. CE mark submission because that's their first market. And then they become attractive to a larger player, like Boston Scientific, Medtronic, sure. et cetera. Yep. But now they're questioning that. Excellent. Excellent, Robert. So I'd like to kind of uh, get to know you a little better. I mean, where are you up to these days? I kind of saw your profile that you were consulting yep. something. Is it a private consulting? Is something of your own or what? I uh -huh. am working with a startup. Uh, so I serve as the CEO of a pre-revenue commercial stage medical technology company. It's a little unique. It's not a pure clinical play. We have a software solution that also has a biometric component that evaluates the musculoskeletal health of an hmm. individual. And the software, when you take the inputs, uh, the output is a risk score. It's a risk score to identify wow. your risk for musculoskeletal injury across four body regions, neck, lower wow. back, upper extremities, and lower extremities. And we have been targeting the employer market. There's a fair mm. amount of workplace injuries. We believe that our solution can help to screen out individuals before they even get hired that may not yeah. be suitable for the job. And then we believe mm. that our, our mm. solution can also then track musculoskeletal health over time to see what does the impact of the job day in, day out do on the musculoskeletal health of an individual not over weeks, but over years to see whether hmm. or not there is undue wear and tear on the workforce. It's fascinating technology, but it's a startup and, you know, our greatest challenge is novel. Funding. Absolutely. Funding is a huge issue, but also getting customers. There's market prep, but we're uh, trying yeah, to prep the yeah. market for something like this. So while yeah, I'm doing great. that, I set up a consultancy practice, R&B Ventures Consulting. So my background for the past 10 years, I had uh, leadership roles in varying medical companies, whether it's pharmaceuticals, a drug device, a medical device, and in vitro diagnostics. So I use my experience and my medical know-how 
to help companies, various stages, whether they're small startups or large Fortune 50 companies, tackle mm. any of their varying <clears throat> medical clinical challenges. I do a, a fair amount of market development uh, work at present, but most recently I helped uh, companies successfully uh, navigate through the FDA pre-submission process, get their mm. packages together, mm. uh, put together their clinical plans, and defend that in front of the FDA. Mm. Those are the two hats mm. I wear. I'm looking forward to expanding my uh, consultancy uh, practice. I can always grow from where I am. Yeah, I'm very interested in your background. I may have something for you, actually. Let's skip the relationship part so that if there's anything I can do for you, for any of your companies, let me know if there's guidance or something I can provide. So sure. For the Latin American market, you really have my content info. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Thank you, Robert, again. And actually, the objective of the call was really to confirm my hypothesis. And mm -hmm. you did. I mean, unless you have specific examples of companies that just forgot about Europe for now and they're <laughs> focusing on Latin America. Yeah, I'm open to hearing those examples. I was more interested in the generalities of your thoughts. Not, I didn't want to go deeper. Oh, okay. Let me uh, take a couple of minutes and just give sure. you a couple of my thoughts yeah. at a high level. Sure. You know, in the okay. medical device world, the class three devices, you know, the implantable, the invasive, the stuff that is more germane to what you have done with your brother, Pedro, okay. those are typically class three devices. The regulatory and the clinical evidence plans have been well codified for years. They emulate the pharmaceutical model. So yeah. the level of uncertainty in terms of evidence plans and regulatory submissions from my take, even with MDR coming on board, not much will change because they've mm. already had to do that. What becomes much more precarious for the devices are the devices that are class two or even class one. If you look at a class one device, which for all intents and purposes could be a laryngoscope blade. So a laryngoscope yeah. blade is used to help intubate a patient. It's disposable or maybe it's single use or the like. If it is sterilized, which it has to be, then it is now requiring all additional levels of scrutiny, even mm. in clinical evidence that these device companies are petrified about. That's where I see a fair amount of consternation in the medical community. The other one mm. is if you look at the in vitro diagnostics. I worked at, at Abbott Labs in their molecular diagnostics division. So I was functioning as their chief medical officer. Okay. So we had a fair amount of molecular diagnostic products within you say hepatitis C, hepatitis B, HIV screening tests or viral load assays, and then a fair amount of assays in the companion diagnostic space. Mm -hmm. The companion diagnostic space typically works hand in glove with a pharmaceutical partner. So there's going to be that, that rigor that goes with a pharmaceutical product mm -hmm. that I don't think will mm -hmm. cause much angst. But the mm -hmm. HIV viral load, the hepatitis C viral load, those classifications and the scrutiny that is going to be applied to them has changed. Those have to okay. go through a notified body at this point. Mm. Even if I want to do a clinical mm. study, I will have to go through a notified body, get uh, ethics approval before I conduct the study. Yeah. That never happened before. So your development timeline has changed. It has now been extended because you now have mm. to include the layers of notified body interactions at the beginning and at the end of the study. It's very similar mm. to what's happening into the United States. So mm. that, that is where there's a fair amount of 
change that is going on. And certain companies may be ready for this. Others, you know, I can just share, we were waiting to see what the regulations are, but there wasn't anything that was proactively being done. My okay. opinion, just knowing of what the, just at Abbott, I'm not sharing anything proprietary. Mm-hmm. My take is the organization was not ready. As MDR mm-hmm. came out, there's going to be a whole bunch of, oh my God, what am I going to do to fix this? Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I have no words to thank you for your time, Robert, and I look forward to keeping the conversation going. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I have a decent understanding of the regulatory strategy. I have a great understanding of the clinical strategy if I serve as advisors on these companies. So unfortunately, the, the sad reality is in the device and diagnostics world, there's a lot of people that think that they understand the healthcare landscape. Yeah. And they're, no offense to you, you're an engineer, but I worked with a lot of engineers at GE. They think mm-hmm. that they understand medicine, but they don't. Mm-hmm. To me, my biggest takeaway is that to be successful as a medical device or medical technology company, you have to have a good solution, but the solution has to be able to fit not only from a product standpoint, but from a patient mm-hmm. and clinical ecosystem yeah. standpoint. Absolutely. Julio, if you want to call me, feel free. Take me anytime. Thank you, Robert. I appreciate that offer. I'll probably be in touch. Uh, I bet you will. I'm looking forward to networking (laughs) with you further. All right. Thank you, Robert. Bye-bye. Have a great rest of the week. You too. Thanks, Julio. Bye-bye.